Hello, and welcome to Thing of the Week, a podcast where two nerds talk about their most recent obsessions. I'm Nick, and I do not have COVID-19. <laughs> that's that's good. I'm Luke, and I, I don't think I do either. Good deal. Good deal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm feeling much better. I, I, I feel like I should start with an apology for last week. I was utterly miserable. Yeah, how's it just... feel to be back from the dead? Oh, my God. I feel so much better. I slept, like, for an entire weekend straight. Um. <laughs> And I did have to go uh, take a COVID test, and it did come back negative, which I, I had a feeling it would. But man, that was still a relief. So, um, you know, no, I'm feeling a whole lot better. I That's think good. You, uh, what does your shirt say, by the way? Straight out of flea bottom. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. I should have expected that. I should have expected that. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, no, I am doing so much better than I was last week. I am, you know. Uh, good, good. Just and my to evidence be... that I'm upright is a good start, so. <laughs> and to be clear, it was never COVID, right? No. Okay. No, no. No, I'm pretty sure it was um, a sinus infection or an ear infection or some, some infection of some kind like that. Um, oh, yeah. But basically, the, my, the protocols with my job are that if I miss work for having any symptoms at all, which I did, I had a fever and muscle mm-hmm. aches. Um, yeah then I have to take a test regardless, you know, it's just a better safe than sorry kind of thing, you know? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense to a, me. I'm on right, board. right. Oh yeah, no, I'm totally for it. So I had to go take the test and, uh, I had to mm. stay home until I got my test results back, which was fine because I was feeling so damn lousy that I would have stayed home anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was, it, it was weirdly relieving to, even though I was like 99% sure I didn't have it. It was weirdly relieving to get that call to be like, you don't have it. Oh, okay, great, cool. <laughs> so that's yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, I I actually had to get a COVID test recently too. Um, oh, one God. of my one of my coworkers found out that her her father tested positive. Uh-oh. So like we immediately like like pulled the kill switch on the whole. Uh, like my office is pretty small, so it, yeah. it was. Uh, you know, we we all like we work from home for a couple days. Everybody got tested. Uh, we all came back negative. It's all good. It didn't spread oh, to anyone good. else. But uh, oh yeah, yeah. I we we did have to quarantine for a short while. Oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, and as much as that sucks, it is it is the right thing to do. Like you said earlier, you know. Yeah. It's, um. You know. Yeah. Maybe inconvenient at times, but you know, we do got to do our yeah. part. So. Did you take the rapid test, or did you go to one of the drive-through places? I went to the hospital here in town. And oh, okay. I, it was a drive up. I I pulled up outside. I'm assuming it was either a nurse or a doctor. I wasn't sure, but she came out and gave me the test while I was sitting in my car. Okay. Yeah. And but they administered know. it to you. Yeah. Okay. Because because when I went, they handed me this little swab in a vial. They told me to oh. put the swab up my nose and then break the tip off into the vial and then give oh. the vial back. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, no. No, it wasn't like that for me. She came out, and she was wearing, like, full PPE. Um, and oh, wow. actually, it was really... She was so nice, too, because, like, okay, you've taken this test. It it sucks. The test sucks. Um, yeah, like, it, I don't know about for you, anyway, but it really, like, it hurt um, for a half a second, anyway. And so, so this oh, wow. lady kept, uh, like, I mean, she apologized to me about 65 times. The whole time I'm like, hey, we're all just, we're, we're all just doing what we got to do, you know? Like, it's okay. I'm yeah. not upset. And she was really, really nice about the whole thing. But yeah, she had, like, the full, like, face shield, gloves, 
like the whole nine. She it, she was practically in a hazmat suit when she came out to do that test. Wow, that's wild. How how quick did you get your results back? It took about two days. Okay, yeah. So you didn't get the rapid test. I think you got the same test I did, except okay, I had to do it on myself. Oh, yeah. See, I would have. Oh God, that, I probably would have hated doing that even more. But although they didn't tell me to like like probe my brain they just wanted me to like stick it in my nose just a little bit and swab it oh around. okay oh yeah no no i i swear it felt like it felt like she was like right under my eye with that thing i mean she probably wasn't that far up but it certainly felt Ouch. that way yeah no it was not fun that but you know fun at all, no. it, again though you do what you got to do you know for the yeah for the sake of global health and all of that so you know yep so yep. other other than your um your your brief uh sojourn back into lockdown how's your uh last couple of weeks been uh not too bad i uh what have i done i've um man i don't know i, I i'm gonna be honest with you it was a rough couple of weeks for reasons that i don't want to get into here and uh, totally it's all kind of like it's all kind of like blurring together yes but i i can relate but uh i i i did go disc golfing a couple times that was cool. fun nice um I started replaying the Splinter Cell series. Do you remember when we were in like high school and I was obsessed with those games? I absolutely do remember that. Yeah, and I think that uh, I think that one year for like my birthday or something like that, a bunch of you guys took me to GameStop and you all chipped in and bought me one of the new uh, the whatever the newest Splinter Cell game was that year. I and do I was, remember that. I was super happy. You were so excited about that, and I think if I remember correctly. Like th two or three days later, you came back to us and said that you had already beaten it. Probably that's like about I'm right. pretty sure you went home and just stayed up for two days and played <laughs> through the whole game, which you know, oh, admittedly yeah. is exactly what we wanted to happen, right? Like you know, oh yeah. yeah, I actually forgot about that, but I do I do remember doing that now. Uh, it was me and my brother and a couple of our other friends. Uh, yeah, all chipped in for that. That was yeah. Oh yeah. So how are you enjoying the Splinter Cell games? Uh, on the I, or, I, or, do they still hold up? Uh, in not really. I think <laughs> I think if uh, uh, I mean some of them do. Uh, there are definitely some antiquated elements to the gameplay. Like um, uh, for example, in the in the first like four games, it was the you know there's there's stealth games, so you're yeah. sneaking around, you're using gadgets. And uh, sometimes, like, a guard will see you. And unless that specific mission has it, like, like kill the mission um, as soon as you're spotted, which doesn't happen very often. Unless that right. happens, then you're now in a firefight. And this oh, game geez. is not built for, like, firefights. It's, it's, it's not. not. It, yeah, it's too, like, slow and clunky and tedious for that. Right, uh, yeah. And when you're hidden... I enjoy that a lot. I enjoy that like like meticulous, slow-paced gameplay, but uh, it it really breaks down once people see you. Yeah, uh, and they kind of tried to address that in the more recent games, but uh, uh, yeah, I think something like that it doesn't really. I think that would be frustrating to someone who picked it up for the first time in 2020. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. See, I I, I was I just don't have the page. Never had the patience for stealth games. Uh. I, you know I what? Was, 
I was thinking for a while that maybe now that I'm older that might have changed, but then then I played a handful of like stealthier missions in Breath of the Wild last year, and I hated yeah. it. <laughs> so I think I'm still probably not a stealth guy. But uh, um, are they That's... still making new Splinter Cell games? The last one they made came out in 2013. Oh, that's actually still more recent than I expected. Yeah. Uh, it didn't sell... It sold okay. They yeah. wanted it to sell... They they made the newer games more action-oriented. They basically... Oh, okay. Um, so, so they were the first four games. And then for the fifth game, they wanted to change it up. They wanted to make it more... Uh, they wanted to address exactly what I was talking about earlier, where yeah. when you're spotted the uh the the gameplay loop completely breaks down mm. so they made it a little bit more action oriented they added this system where like you can um uh it's called uh they call it mark and execute um where basically like like you can be in a room with a bunch of guys and then you can like tag them manually and then hit a button and uh fisher will automatically like pew 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 knock uh, oh. like just just headshot all of them. Okay. Um, whereas in the previous games, you had to line up your shot, take out this guy, and hope that that guy didn't see it. And yeah. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, huh. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, but in game number five, they basically completely abandon all of the the gadgets and the the previous the stealth elements from the previous games. Right. They brought some of those back in game six which is uh it's called blacklist that's the one that came out in 2013 um it's there's stealth options there are assault options it's a fun game but it doesn't feel like splinter cell right uh and it was kind of uh i think the splinter cell series has kind of been subjected to the the realities of capitalism which uh. is that uh if if the game doesn't sell to a wide audience and not just like the devoted cult following of the right. original trilogy, yep. then uh they're probably not gonna make more. No. You know, I was I was reading a um uh I don't remember where I was reading this, but I'm pretty sure it was on Reddit and it was somebody talking about how they were frustrated by the lack of different types of gameplay in AAA titles. And now, you know, like, AAA titles seem to be, like, mild revisions on what came before. You know, every new Call of Duty game is really just only a mild upgrade from the last one and yada yada. These are things you and I have talked about on this show a lot. Yeah, And somebody else raised a really interesting point that I'd never really thought about before, and that's the reason that is, is because they're AAA games. These are games with millions and millions of dollars in budget and marketing yeah. that have to make that back so they have to appeal to the widest possible audience mm-hmm. um yeah they're gonna stick to proven formulas and a- yeah. avoid risks well it's just like the film industry you know like right now yeah. well okay maybe not now but for the longest time you know like big popcorn superhero movies is what m- most you're gonna get the most butts in the seat that way yeah so that's what studios would stick with and as a fan of that genre i had no complaints yeah. Um, except there were some stinkers, but we don't need to get, we <laughs> talked about that before too. Um, yep. But like, that's where, that's why they kind of like, it's too bad that a game like Splinter Cell is considered a triple A game and not, and couldn't be handled like 
an indie game because yeah, I think it would see a lot more success that way. And you can get away with having like a devoted cult following and a smaller following. Now, now the games wouldn't look as pretty, but when it comes no. to like a, a tactical strategic kind of stealth game, I don't think that is the most necessary thing. I think probably solid yeah. physics and AI is more what you want. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You don't need like these high poly count environments with like lots of cell shading and, and God rays and uh, like lots of particle effects. And, right. Uh, you don't need like a robust online multiplayer. Like No. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, honestly, if, if, uh, if Ubisoft was like, hey, the next Splinter Cell game is going to have a budget of like, like $5 million dollars. And uh, actually, I don't even know if that would. If I don't even know if that's nearly enough to make a game these days. But if they're like, if well, it's, gonna yeah. have, it's gonna have a tiny budget. Yeah. It's gonna run at like, uh, uh, you know, it's it's gonna run like on everything. It's gonna, mm. it's it's not gonna have great graphics. It's uh, like it'll have like fun gameplay or whatever. Yeah. And if it sells, you know, two million copies, one million copies, then we're happy with that. Yep. I think that would be for a game like that. That that seems to be the you know i don't know there there are a handful of properties like that that kind of it kind of sucks that they're sort of stuck in that Mm -hmm. um in in having those high expectations because we wind up losing a lot of cool franchises because of it yeah yeah i feel like um 10 15 years ago there were there were like three unique tiers of games you know you had your indies that's uh that's stuff like like braid or uh limbo things like that you know the stuff that that gets made on like like a half a million dollar budget or something right. like that. Yep. Um by a team of like two people in an mm-hmm. apartment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um and then you've got uh you got the triple A games like uh like Call of Duty and Battlefield and Uncharted and Halo and yep. yeah, those those two tiers still exist. Yes. But there used to be like this this like, you know, you had like single A and triple A. They used to have like this double A team. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we don't really have much of that anymore, huh? No, I, I think the the budgets are just big enough that it's it's tough to sell those games to make the money back. Yeah. Uh, but the budgets are also just small enough that you can't make a game that like you can, you can put on posters and like adverts and like really entice people into buying. Right. Yeah. Well, and then the marketing is an entire other side of it. Like, I remember at one point learning that, like, okay, so, like, you know, talking about movies, let's say you and I made a movie for $5 million, which is a pretty low budget for a movie. Oh, actually, here, here, I'll reframe that. So let's say you and I made a movie for a studio, and it cost, it was for a studio relatively, still relatively low budget of $30 million. Yeah. We spent $30 million to make this movie. That studio is probably going to turn around and spend another $30 million to market that movie. Mm-hmm. So you don't just have to make the budget back. You have to make that back. So, like, you're you're expected to make back double your budget in most of the time. I yeah. imagine it's the same in, in, like, the AAA kind of mainstream game industry, too, where, like, you know, if a game has a budget of $100 million, they're probably going to spend at least $100 million to market that game. So... You're looking at making back almost a quarter of a billion dollars right there. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the economics doesn't 
really work with those like double A games these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which that's is sad. It is. Which is, I, I would, I would, a thousand percent play a double A Splinter Cell game. Absolutely, I would love that. Yeah, I mean, I would probably watch somebody else play it. Just again, patience, but still, again, yeah, I want that to exist because if something like that exists, that opens up the doors for all kinds of games that I would probably like. You know, yeah. Um, and maybe for you, it's not Splinter Cell. It's like right. It uh, could be anything. It's, it's Zelda. You know, right? Yeah. Like if, uh, uh, like uh, a Link Between Worlds. Like imagine something like that. Like, uh, you know, that game. It had a smaller budget than something like Breath of the Wild because it came out on uh, 3ds. Yeah. But like, why couldn't that run on the Switch? You know, it totally could. Yeah. And hell, it could run on phones. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Well, that was like kind of what I what I found interesting. I, I this is sort of just off topic, but I, I mm-hmm. uh, have I, I I kind of followed the story for a while while it was happening, and I kind of re like have been recently rereading about it and watching videos about it. But have you played Sonic Mania? No. Do you like Sonic? Does anyone like Sonic? I like Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, fair. Uh, but go on, Sonic Mania. Okay, so Sonic Mania really had this kind of interesting history of, like, it started with these mobile ports of mm-hmm. Sonic 1, 2, and I think maybe 3. And they were okay. not great. And then some people, uh, a bunch of people, but the name that is attached to it most is Christian Whitehead. Mm-hmm. Um, started making his own ports of these games for mobile, and they were excellent. Okay. And those ports eventually, through some hiring and um, legal means, became the official Sega ports. Okay. And that and the quality of those ports is kind of what inspired Sonic Mania, which is a new 2D Sonic game. Okay. Well, I say new. It's like a handful of years old at this point. And it's really, really good. Oh. Okay. I don't remember why I brought that. Oh, yeah. Talk, just talking about the mobile ports. Even mobile ports of, of games or like cool mobile properties like that can still... I don't know. I wonder if if we discount how much the kind of mobile game part of it is part of the game industry. and Yeah. Like how much that can define what the rest of the industry does in good or bad ways i i I think i mean we all know about like the microtransactions and shit yeah yeah mobile mobile gaming has its own economic issues yeah uh that there was sort of that race to the bottom a couple of years ago where like now like you if you you can't make like a triple a game for mobile uh oh no you you have to make you know these candy crush games that uh uh, you put out and then it's free and then mm. you you uh, you give away a couple of little perks in the first couple of hours and then you basically don't let people progress unless they spend money on your game and microtransactions. Yes. And I fucking hate it. Oh no, that's the worst. That's like, you know, I spend a lot of time complaining about uh, game developer, game companies mm-hmm. being shit companies. Yeah. Um, essentially, I spend a lot of time complaining about capitalism in the gaming industry. 
Yeah. Um, and you know, okay, so as a as a Nintendo fanboy, I'm also not afraid or unwilling to criticize Nintendo. And Nintendo does a lot of very mm. anti-consumer things. We all know this, right? But they have really nothing compared. They have nothing on the the kind of weird kind of toxic uh economy of mobile gaming no uh no mobile's its own monster yeah you know it's one thing to sell like you know unfinished games and stuff like that it's another thing to like nickel and dime people and you know let's be honest take advantage of the addiction model which is kind of taking advantage of people you know and that's that's gross like yeah you know it's one thing to sell a product that's maybe not up to snuff it's another thing to like prey on people's addiction tendencies yeah and i'm okay with like it's it's not that i'm like a cheapskate and i no, of course i not. don't and i don't want to pay money for a game i'm more than happy to pay money for a game but it's absolutely. like absolutely people worked on that game they deserve to be compensated yeah but like either either let me buy the whole game up front or yeah. like i don't know like sell me like level by level or something like that yes. I, I i hate the this this framework where it's like uh you know they they give you like i just said uh, they give you a couple freebies up front and then uh a couple hours into the game it's almost impossible for you to progress without spending money on it yep yep yeah you either like, have to spend hours or or dollars yeah and it's just it feels you just feel like you're being cheated. Yeah. Well, you feel like you're being cheated because you're being cheated. Yes. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. I God, I, shit, I forgot what I was going to say now. Um Oh, yeah. I part of me what you said kind of part of me and I don't know how this would even be practical in today <clears throat> in the modern age. But part of me does really kind of miss the shareware thing. Yeah. Where like you were saying like Okay, so so a little bit of the backstory to this. Um, you might have seen it on seen my post on Facebook. I became extremely excited, and I don't know how I didn't know this existed before. But Duke Nukem 3D is on the Switch. Is it really? It is, and I'll tell you what. It's a really really good port. There are they hired John St. John to to record new lines for Duke. Okay. Um, they hired some of the original level designers to make new levels. Uh, and I'm pretty sure this port is on all consoles, but I bought it on Switch. And okay. it's really, really good. Um, but that got me thinking about how, like, um, this is probably the first time I've ever paid for Duke Nukem. Okay. And all those years growing up, I'm pretty sure I only ever played the first level through shareware. It really kind of made me miss the miss the um, the shareware thing of like you know we'll let you go you know we'll go ahead and maybe this is a better way to go for mobile. It's like we'll let you go ahead and play the first handful of hours for free, and if you like mm-hmm. it, we're gonna give you the option to buy the game up front. Yeah, right. Because that's how it used to work with those PC games in the '90s. Is you would get like the Doom shareware thing for free. Yeah. You'd play through the first level, decide, this is amazing, I'm going to send away for it, and then you would buy it from the yeah. developers and compensate and play the rest of the game. And I think that's a fine model. In the same I, way, I mean, it's basically a demo disc. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would like that too. 
Yeah. Um, and here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? Like, with games like, especially for me, with games like Doom and Duke Nukem back in the day, 99% of the time, I was fine just playing through the shareware level over and over and over again. <laughs> Man, that takes me back to uh, when I was like when I was like seven years old, eight years old, and I got my first PS1, and we were broke as shit. So yep. uh, I didn't really have a lot of full games, no. but I yeah, did yeah. have I did I did a, a subscription to uh, to PlayStation Magazine, and they would oh, send the yes. demo discs out with each issue. You know what? PlayStation Magazine had some of the best demo discs ever. I. I wonder if I still have my big my big ass stack of demo discs somewhere. Oh man, that would I, be sweet to go through. I I'm pretty sure I still had them when uh, when you know you and I and and uh, your brother and everybody started hanging out. Oh, I know you did because I remember going through them a few times too. Uh, yeah, but I had like I had demos for like uh, like the first medieval. I had some yeah. flight like some flight sim games. I had. Uh, I had a ton of those, and I would just play through like like oh I like this demo I'll just play through the first level over and over and over again yeah yeah and then just sort of wish that it was longer yep every time yeah yeah no and you know maybe that's what kind of developed my um my my habit of playing through one level of a game and being like okay I'm done with this for now <laughs> and like <laughs> and that's why it takes me so long to play through games because you know maybe I'm just too used to playing through shareware and demo discs now. But yeah, no, to the to the broke gamer man, demo discs were like gold. Yes. Um I remember I got so excited with my first place PS1. Mm-hmm. I had a it wasn't even a demo disc. I think it was Tomb Raider. Maybe okay. one of the Tomb Raider games had a cheat code in it mm-hmm. that would let you play Crash Team Racing. <laughs> oh, no way. Yeah, and you only got one course, but still, it was like, oh my god, I can play, I can play Crash Team Racing now. Like it was amazing. <laughs> I played that demo more than I played Tomb Raider. <laughs> That's great. So, oh my god, those things were like, um, yeah, oh yeah. So I, I mean, God, there's no. I'd love, love to see shareware and demo discs come back. Yeah, demos aren't really even a thing. Um, Not really. They. Demos were pretty common, you know, like early in the the PS3, the Xbox 360 era. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know, they just they just kind of disappeared. Yeah. I don't know what happened there. From what I understand when I talk to other people, everybody else seems to have really fond memories of demos too. I I I could venture some guesses. Uh I know that when when a developer is making a game and they have to make they have to like take a vertical slice of that game and turn it into a demo. That is extra work that they wouldn't have otherwise had to do. I mean, that's true. I, I have I've always kind of had a feeling that like us as fans kind of underestimate the amount of work that goes into making a demo. Yeah, and then it's the same thing when they're preparing for like E three or something, and you know they do their live on stage demos, but that's just a vertical slice of the game that they had to chop out of their existing build and yeah. then like like tie up the little ends on the on the end where uh uh because you know it's not just like like put uh, like load up your entire build of the game and then just like stop when the level's done like you gotta you gotta cut up the cutscenes with the spoilers oh, yeah. in them and so uh, that reminds me of a story i cannot remember the name of the game right now it's an older game it might have even been like 
something from the 80s. I'm not entirely sure. I'm going to look it up and and try to get back to you about this next week. But there was a game <laughs> that shipped its demo in the and fu- in, in, kind of in the way that you were describing. Basically, yeah. they they put the entire game on the disc and then added a feature where after you beat the first level, it just looped back to the title screen. Okay. Now, here's the big mistake. Hackers. Not even. They left the level select cheat in. Oh. So all you had to do was skip to the second level, and you could play through the whole game for free. Oops. Yup. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, no, what you're saying makes... A ton of sense because if they just shift the whole game as a demo with like a with like a where where it just loops back to the mm-hmm. to the beginning, I mean it would be way too easy to hack in and get the whole game for free. Yep. Yeah, yeah. See, those are things you don't think of, or things people like me never think about. You know. Yeah, it's it's easy to feel like you can do someone's job better than they can, but yeah, we we don't know the realities of being oh, yeah. a, a game developer. Well, and then, I mean, even me, I like, I just go back to like taking visual basic class in high school mm-hmm. and remembering how much work went into some of that stuff and being like, I bet making a game is way harder. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, I, like I'm, I'm not a game developer, but I am a, I am a software developer. So right. like there's, there's a lot of crossover there. Sure. You know, oh, I, yeah. I don't have to deal with like. Like irate neckbeards on the internet sending me death threats because they didn't like that the button I made is not centered or something. Yep. But uh, uh, you know, I do understand the the plights of software development from a high level. Like, sure. uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's pretty common that my boss will be like, like, hey, so uh, this new feature, uh, how long are you thinking it'll be to to uh, to? Uh, uh, yeah, my boss will be like. Like, all right, so we got this new feature. Here are all the mock-ups. How long do you think it'll be before we can uh, get this into uh, QA's hands? And I'll be like, hmm, probably like a week. And uh, I'll spend like literally the first day just trying to put data on the page. And I'm like, yeah, I may have underestimated yep. how long this is going to take. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I... I... I can't necessarily relate to that, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. um, you know, software development of any kind, I, I, I always assumed was a lot more work than than it looked like, and I think you can attest to the fact that it is. Um, you know, and games are a type of software, but with a yeah. whole lot more expectations on top of it because of these like hyper dedicated fan bases and just the fact that gaming is like a massive, massive industry nowadays, which I never really expected to see growing up. You know, you and I might have been in one of the last handful of generations where video gaming was kind of seen as, like, potentially dangerous. Yeah. And, like, a scourge on the children, you know? Yeah, remember the hot coffee thing with uh, San Andreas? Yes, I remember that. That was wild. And like and now it's it's just crazy to see that like gaming is like an industry that is on par, like can compete with the film industry in this country. That is yep. mind-boggling to me. And like we were talking about before, that comes with good things and bad things. Yeah. You know, we get a lot of really great games, but at the same time that kind of middle-class double A 
um, space is kind of disappeared at this point, yeah. you know, which does suck. Um, you know, we talk a lot about how, like, there hasn't been any, like, major innovations in games in a while, and, and that gets more and more rare. Yeah. Um, but that middle space is kind of like a really fertile ground for kind of cool innovation because the expectations aren't as high yeah you know so if something really out there doesn't sell you know a hundred million copies or whatever it can still be Mm -hmm. a success and can still continue to add to the you know vocabulary of games that we have yeah yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I, I'm over here talking about Ubisoft and uh, or I rather I'm talking about Splinter Cell, which is published by Ubisoft. Yeah. Um, Ubisoft over the last like decade or so is actually one of the better publishers about uh, putting out like these smaller projects that are like experimental and they they don't necessarily make money like there was um i think child of light was one okay uh, yeah. there was a i cannot remember the name of the game but it was about like i think it was about like world war one or something and okay. it's just like this 2d side scroller and it's like really story heavy they they really like gave some of these developers the this the freedom to to experiment with with things without like the expectation of uh you know making you know the a new assassin's creed which is going to sell you know 10 15 million copies and yeah. make them a buttload of money uh actually it's this it's this, the assassin's creeds and the uh uh the far cries that are yeah. uh that are uh paying for these smaller projects uh yeah right and i and i i, I wish that they do something like that with with splinter cell but obviously mm. i'm biased well yeah yeah i mean but we all have our biases but like yeah I don't know when you mentioned that like it's those big those big AAA projects that are paying for these smaller projects. It kind of mm-hmm. reminded me of um, uh, Epitaph Records, yeah, in the '90s. You know, Epitaph signed The Offspring, mm-hmm. that put out a handful of albums, including Smash, that became like massive sellers. Smash went freaking platinum. Yeah. It was the highest selling indie record for a long time. And it made Epitaph Records so much money that they were able to sign like hundreds of small bands and put out their albums. And like okay. in some small way, uh, the offspring hitting it so big is kind of part of the reason that like we got to see this huge influx of really cool pop punk bands in the late 90s and early 2000s. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't really have anything to do with what we were talking about. Just reminded me, like, that that's, you know, I think talking about AAA games, I think I kind of lose sight of the fact that, like, you know, for some of these, like, Ubisoft, for some of these developers, those big titles are kind of what pays for the more interesting stuff, you know, and yeah. what makes makes those risks able to be taken. Yeah, I, I do wish more publishers, more game publishers would do that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be really cool. Um. Yeah, it's oh, yeah. all either like the AAA stuff that is you know more or less guaranteed to make money, or it's yeah. the the indies who like uh, they they pay for their own development costs, they pay for mm-hmm. their own publishing costs, and then yes. uh, uh, 
like the the platform holders and you know like like steam and things like that they're just like oh yeah of course you can sell it on our our store but there's really no financial risk to them exactly and and like it's it's a lot harder to get that kind of coverage as an indie developer Mm -hmm. um, when you have to kind of front everything by yourself man like in a god in a weird way there is a lot of analogs between uh, game development and punk rock, oddly <laughs> enough, although they they share a very similar trajectory, you know. Yeah. Of like be, starting off as this really small kind of niche industry that most people didn't know what to make of for a long time, mm-hmm. and then you know a few people broke through in a big bad major way: Nintendo, Sega, Atari, and all these companies, and uh, and now kind of look at where we're at. And I don't know. There's an interesting analogs there. Uh, yeah to explore but uh yeah i also wish more more game developers did stuff like that uh yeah oh yeah uh we should probably wrap it up pretty soon i'm gonna say i was closing statements yep go go for my closing statement all i want to say is uh ubisoft please give me a double a splinter cell game yes with i don't need i don't need motion capture i don't need voiceovers i don't need 4k graphics Nope. I just want the old school gameplay. Yes. Just like 10 hours of the old school gameplay. Yeah. That's all, That's all I want. Yes. Anyway, Nick, closing thoughts. Um, I think you I I don't know that I have any. Like, but basically, yeah, no. I I I, I want the I want the double A game space to come back. Yeah. That's my closing thoughts. That's my call to action to game developers that don't listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> make more double A games. That would be awesome. Yes. Okay, well, thank you, everybody, for joining us. As always, uh, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, and everyone's favorite copy, RSS. Uh, we will be putting out a new episode almost every week, although every time I say that, we take a week off. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. See ya.